Hello, everybody. Colton Lawrence here, your Trucker CFO, back with another edition of the Trucker CFO podcast. Today, we are joined by Greg Thompson, our podcast producer, and we are going to be talking about 10 very common questions that are asked of the Trucker CFO team. These questions were gathered by the Trucker CFO team and are very common questions that come up through the course of conversation. Greg, I'm excited to have you and look forward to talking about this. Well, Colton, you don't know this about me, and our listeners don't know this about me. I was a big fan of David Letterman back in those early days when he came up with a top 10 list. So to have a top 10 list of your own on the Trucker CFO podcast, pretty cool. Instead of going from 10 to 1, we're going to go 1 to 10. The first one on the list reminds me of another Letterman stalwart that they used to have, and it was called Will It Float? So first question on our list is the following. Is it deductible? Basically, will it float? Yeah, Greg, this is probably the most common question we get, right? We're talking to our clients each and every day. They're sending in their information to us. They're wanting to know, is the expense that they incurred deductible? I'm not going to go through every single specific item that we are asked in terms of whether it's deductible or not. We'll cover a few, but more than anything, we're going to kind of discuss, generally speaking, how does somebody answer the question themselves or what is the philosophy we use in determining if something is deductible or not? And it goes like this. Is it ordinary and is it necessary? Those are the two things people have to ask themselves, and those are the questions we ask ourselves. Is it ordinary to the course of a trucking operation, and is it necessary to the course of a trucking operation? So let's talk about a few things. Fuel. Is fuel ordinary and necessary to a trucking operation? Well, obviously, the answer there is yes. You're not going to be very successful as a truck driver if you're not buying fuel. On the flip side, there are other things that definitely are not ordinary and necessary. We often get asked, is my pet chihuahua a guard dog and is it necessary and is it ordinary in the course of my business operation? And our stance is no, it's not. So we are not going to be deducting the pet chihuahua and their food as a business expense. There's all kinds of other expenses in between and on the outsides of those different questions. But Greg, what are your thoughts when we talk about ordinary and necessary? Colton, it makes a lot of sense to me. Again, you're talking about things that basically practical. What is applicable to your operation? What is applicable to your business? Again, our audience here is mostly independent contractors and owner operators. And the thing that I like here, using that guidepost of ordinary and necessary. If it's a stretch, probably not. You brought up the example of the dog and the dog food. But at the same time, a laptop. Now, that's not diesel fuel. It's none of those things that you would think about 30 years ago that might have been ordinary and necessary to a trucking operation. However, in these days, if you're keeping track of expenses, if you're doing all the things that you're doing online, a laptop, and in some cases, those laptops can be $500 to $1,000 to $3,000 depending on what model you get, that can be made as an ordinary and necessary expense, I would think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, all those kinds of things, your laptops, any uh, accessories that go with your laptop, monitors, mouses, 
all that kind of stuff is definitely going to be ordinary and it's definitely necessary to manage and run your trucking operation. There are other things such as hotel expenses, motel expenses. This is something that truck drivers, they're out on the road, they break down or they're just taking their 72-hour reset. They've got to be out on the road away from home and they can pay for as a business expense the cost of a hotel to get into that room, take a break, get away from the truck and get some rest. On the flip side, there are definitely things that are not going to be deductible. We often get asked, is the cost of Netflix or is the cost of me buying a certain game for my Xbox? Because a lot of truckers are getting into gaming to kind of burn the time. Those types of expenses are going to be considered entertainment. And those entertainment related expenses are not deductible. But as we look at other things that might be deductible for a truck driver that would not be deductible in the course of somebody else's business that's not in transportation, things such as showers. A lot of drivers are paying with their showers through the credits that they earn at the truck stop. But for folks that do come out of pocket with cash for those showers, those showers are going to be deductible because it's ordinary for a trucker to do that. And it's also obviously necessary. And although a shower is necessary for somebody like one of the trucker CFO team members, we definitely want our team members to shower. It is not an ordinary expense in the course of an accounting business. We are not away from home. We all have showers at our houses. We can do that without causing the business an expense. So as people are thinking about these things, they just want to ask themselves, is it really necessary for my business to pay for this as a business expense? And is it ordinary to most other truckers? And if the answer to both of those is yes, more than likely they're gonna be able to deduct that. Exactly, and when you talk about Netflix or gaming and other things that you would do in your off time, I'm gonna throw a question at you that probably comes up. Somebody may come to you and say, what about my cell phone expense? Obviously you've gotta call your dispatcher, your company doing all that and you've got data, most people out on the road are gonna have a pretty hefty data plan, and you're gonna use that data partially for entertainment, but you're gonna be using that data for some of the apps that you need for your business. So let me ask you about data and the cell phone. We can make an argument that data and the cell phone are ordinary and necessary to the operation, but how far down in the weeds does this get? Yeah, what you're asking, Greg, is does some of this stuff fall into a gray area? And the answer is yes. It's not always cut and dry to ask yourself, is it ordinary and necessary? The answer to those may be yes. It may be a really strong yes, but other times it might be a yes, but... In those cases of yes, but like a cell phone expense, we got to dig in a little bit deeper. We've got to look at what the IRS is going to accept. And in the case of your cell phone expense, absolutely, it's going to be deductible. But what you do need to ask yourself is, are you on some type of a family plan or are you sharing that cell phone with somebody else? And does that expense need to be split? Oftentimes when we have cell phone bills that are sent into us, we can see that there might be four or five lines on that plan. And we don't wanna be deducting the entire amount of four or $500 for that entire plan. We need to be able to parse out just the portion that is for the truck driver and just the portion that is for his business. And that may be more than just one phone. You might have a significant other back home in the office working with you to help with the trucking operation. And in that case, you might be able to deduct two lines 
lines, but you can't have a situation where you're deducting your phone, you're deducting your spouse's phone, even if that spouse is helping in the operation, then also paying for your teenagers or preteens that have their phones and their data plans. We've got to split this out and look at what is actually pertinent to the business operation. Colton, thanks for that deeper dive into that first question. Really, with a lot of these questions, we could go on for an extended period of time, but we're going to try to keep things moving. And the next one on the list, number two, is one of my favorite questions on this list. And it really gets into what we've talked about before in previous podcasts about folks being truck stop accountants, or I heard this from somebody who was an accountant, or my friend heard this. And basically, it goes like this. I was talking to my trucker buddy and his accountant lets him write off everything. Why don't you? Yeah, Greg, this is often a follow-up to the first question, right? They'll ask, is it deductible? And if we come back to them saying, no, that really isn't deductible, very quickly they're going to follow up with just what you said. I was talking to my trucker buddy and he deducts it or his accountant let him deduct it. They can write off everything. Why aren't you going to let me do it? The answer to that quite simply is, look, we've got your best interest in mind. Just because driver Joe does it and just because Sally accountant lets him deduct it does not mean that it's correct. It is our responsibility at Trucker CFO to make sure you take advantage of every single deduction that is available to you. But we also want to make sure you stay out of the crosshairs of the IRS. We don't want you getting into trouble. We don't want the IRS coming to you and disallowing deductions and causing you more expense than what you would have had otherwise. So when we tell you no, the simple answer is we've got your best interest at heart and we want to make sure you don't get yourself into trouble. When you bring that up, Colton, I know that you and your team take the time to look at every concern that somebody brings up. Hey, can we do this or can I do that? You guys will either tell them, yes, you can, or that's not a good idea and this is why, or you absolutely don't want to do that. Are those the type of conversations that you're having with folks that are looking at, again, what is deductible? My neighbor did this and he had an accountant that did this or wherever they may hear it. Isn't it true that you guys will walk through every question with a client or someone who calls you and is looking to be a client? Yes, that's absolutely true, Greg. The important thing to remember is there is no stupid question. We've been asked all kinds of things. We are going to take the time to respectfully look at and answer that question. And if in our opinion, we believe it is not a deductible expense, that is the answer you're going to get. And it's also important to understand that the answers we give are not just coming off the cuff. They come from years and years of experience working with truck drivers, years and years of experience working with the IRS on audits, responding to the questions they may have as it pertains to truck driver tax returns and small trucking business operations. So we've seen it. We know what the IRS is going to accept and we know what they're not going to accept. Again, when that answer comes to them, no, it's not deductible. It is in their best interest to make sure they listen to us and respect our expertise as the professionals in the tax and accounting world. Very good. And that leads us into question number three, which is another very common question that comes up. And in my mind, it would come up after question number two, and that is this. Why do I owe so much? Because before, I was always getting a refund, or my neighbor was getting a refund, or my cousin the truck driver was getting a refund. So why do I owe so much? 
Yeah, Greg, this is a very, very common question we get during tax season as we are preparing those taxes for folks, especially with folks that are newer to the industry, newer to being an owner-operator independent contractor. They get that tax return for the first time, and they just aren't expecting to owe money. They've been an employee. They've had that W-2 income for years and years and years, and they've had the taxes pulled from their paycheck on that W-2 income. And as a result, money's been sent to the IRS over the course of the year. Through the reconciliation process of doing the taxes, they find out that they have that refund. It's kind of the time-honored tradition of getting the refunds before April. There are so many businesses that offer tax refund sales, especially like furniture stores. And so people want to get that refund money and they want to go out and they want to spend it. So as owner operators and independent contractors, they are not usually paying money in to the extent that they're going to get a refund. If they are paying their estimated taxes, we are trying to make sure they pay only an amount that is going to match the tax liability that they're going to have at the end of the year. So at the very least, they're going to owe a little bit or get a little bit back, but our approach is to not have them get a refund. We don't want them giving an interest-free loan to the government over the course of that year. So when it comes to the question, why do I owe so much? I always get a refund. Well, you just got to get used to this environment. You've got to work with us. You've got to pay those estimated taxes. And Greg, I know that statement right there leads us to our next question. It definitely does go into question number four. And I want to relay this very quickly because you brought up a great point Question number three and question number four really speaks to those professional drivers who are in the transition from company driver to independent contractor or owner operator. As you said, for years, they've been on W-2. For years, they may have gotten a refund because they're not self-employed. But I will tell you that I know somebody who went from having a W-2 job and then became an owner operator working with his accountant. He was paying estimated taxes, but it was based on a combination of what he had made in part as an owner-operator and in part as a W-2. So when they went to set up the estimated taxes for the next year, the accountant didn't figure in that this person was a contractor for four quarters. So there was quite a surprise when it came time to pay taxes and said, why did that happen? Because your estimated taxes weren't set properly. Looking at question number four right now, and that is, do I have to pay estimated taxes? I would tell you from the experience that I know this person had, and from everything you've related to me, the answer to that one is absolutely yes. You need to pay estimated taxes because it really gets back to that old commercial, pay me now or pay me later. I want you to comment on it, and before you do, estimated taxes is one of those things that you're paying along so you don't get shocked with a big bill at the end. If you don't keep up with it, it's really going to roll you. Yeah, Greg, we've said many, many times on this podcast that there is nothing business hates worse than a big surprise. When it comes to paying estimated taxes and do I have to pay estimated taxes, the answer is yes. Outside of one short year, when you've first gone into business, you are required to pay estimated taxes. That first year you are in business, they don't require it because they don't really know what you need to base your estimate off of. However, I still recommend that you pay estimated taxes in that first year. Afterwards, when you get into years two, three, four, and forward, you absolutely are required to. And if you don't, you're going to get hit with an estimated tax penalty. You're probably going to get hit with an underpayment penalty. And you're probably going to get hit with a late payment penalty. 
All of those penalties are monies that come out of your pocket that did not need to come out of your pocket. So as we work with our clients, we're going to make sure they know how much they need to pay. We're going to make sure they deduct everything that they can deduct by answering the question, is it deductible? And in doing so, we're going to make sure they don't pay anything more than they need to pay on those estimated taxes so that when it comes time to file that annual tax return, they've paid in throughout the year. They have paid in in a way that does not give the government an interest-free loan, but they've also paid in enough that they're not going to get hit with any of those penalties so that when we do their annual tax return, it comes in as close to zero due or zero coming back as possible. Well, Colton, when we talk about estimated taxes, you've covered all the bases here. And it is true. If you don't do it right, it's going to cost you. And I know that you guys at Trucker CFO actually take it another step. Not only are you working with folks throughout the year to make sure that they are on par with what they need to pay, but you guys actually work to facilitate the payment to the IRS. Isn't that correct? That's absolutely correct. Many drivers are familiar with the concept of escrow accounts through the motor carriers. A lot of motor carriers will require them to carry a maintenance fund or some other type of fund to help cover some of those expenses that come up along the way. We offer a very similar type escrow account where folks can put money aside over the course of the year. That money is held in escrow for the purpose of paying their estimated and annual tax liabilities. When the time comes to make those payments through their service with Trucker CFO, they can authorize a payment. We will cut the check and we will send it off to the IRS or the state tax agency on their behalf to cover those tax liabilities. It makes it very simple and streamlined on their part. Well, Colton, we've moved to the halfway point in our list of 10 common questions that you and your team at Trucker CFO receive. The number five question here is, do I pay taxes from my business or my personal account? So this question is an interesting one. Folks, they get their tax return at the end of the year, or we issue those estimated tax liabilities, and they ask the question, well, how do I pay this? Or where do I pay it from? Where does the cash need to come from? Can it come from my business account, or does it need to come from the personal account? And the answer to that is, well, it can come from either. If you don't have the money in the business accounts because you transfer all of your business cash into a personal account, by all means, you can take it out of that personal account and pay it. Our recommendation to people as it pertains to the business portion of their tax liability is the business should pay for those taxes. So as they are going throughout the year, they are making money, they're generating that profit. They should set money aside, perhaps into the trucker CFO tax escrow account, put that money aside from the business and the business operations. And as those liabilities come due, pay it out of that escrow account or pay it out of a business checking account. And that way, when they get to the end of the year, they're not left trying to come up with the money out of their personal account, which is really there to cover those personal type expenses from their car payment to their house payment or rent. They want to keep that stuff separate again so they're not caught with any of those surprises. Well, another point on that too is that if you're a small business, I would think that making sure that you keep your business expenses and business expenditures on that side of the ledger and your personal expenses on the personal side of the ledger when it comes to reconciling things, doing your accounting, doing your books at the end of the year, it's going to make things a whole lot easier. 
it definitely makes it easier. And we are always talking to our clients about the need to separate the business from the personal. They should not be mixing personal expenses with business expenses. They should not have one account that is for the purpose of paying both business and personal expenses. They need to separate that out. And there is no difference when it comes to paying the taxes. Those taxes are a business related expense. It should come out of the business account. And by doing so, it's going to keep things much cleaner. Well, as always, Colton, it looks like we're again talking about having a plan. So you're going to make a plan, have a strategy. What you've just laid out here in terms of the business or personal account really spells it out for people. Talking about having a plan, let's look at question number six. When should I look at incorporating? Greg, this is a very important question that folks are oftentimes answering. Many times they come into the world of being an owner operator or an independent contractor. Most folks have started by driving under the authority of another motor carrier, driving under their flag. When it comes to that kind of an operation, oftentimes they're able to do so by running as what's called a sole proprietorship, meaning they provide their social security number. The motor carrier will pay them as an individual using that social security number. It oftentimes will go to or or be deposited into a personal bank account, it just makes for a big mess. There's no separation between the business and personal expenses. There's no legal separation between the business and personal assets. Everything gets mixed in together. So although the purpose of this podcast is not to offer legal advice, we definitely would recommend that folks get with an attorney, talk to them about the legal benefits of having a business entity. Oftentimes that's an LLC and that type of business entity can then result in a separation of those business assets from the personal assets. Once they have that business entity in place, they can then set up a business bank account that is going to allow them to separate the business income and expenses from their personal expenses. It really creates a good separation and delineation between what is your business life and what is your personal life. So in terms of the question, when should I do it? The answer is as soon as you can. I recommend folks do that as soon as they can, as soon as they get comfortable in their operation. They've got enough cash, which is not too expensive, but they've got enough cash to pay for that service. Go out and get that business entity set up. Well, Colton, this is very interesting to me because when I initially read that question, I was thinking about incorporating on a larger scale. But what you're talking about here is a company on a small scale, an LLC. You don't have to be a corporation necessarily. And we're going to get into in our next question talking about different types of companies. But what I'm hearing from you right now is that making that step to get that LLC to incorporate, to have a corporate entity of some form and the LLC being the most basic is a very easy and a good step to take. Yeah, Greg, it's definitely a good step to take. And we have actually done a full podcast on how to go about making the decision of what type of business entity to set up. There are numerous types. You've got sole proprietorship, LLC, partnership, C-Corp, S-Corp. There's all these different entities. And so the question is, is which one do I do? Well, that question could lead us into a whole nother conversation of 20 or 30 minutes. So what I would recommend folks do is go find that podcast specific to that topic and get a lot more detailed information. So at a high level, folks need to have a business entity. They need to discuss which one is best for them. They can consult our podcast and consult other legal experts on which one is going to be best for them. Once they've made that decision, get that entity set up and start operating as a business as opposed to as an individual. 
Colton, I'm glad you brought up our podcast on business entity formation. As you said, another 25, 30 minute discussion, but it's all there in that podcast. Look it up, folks. Another podcast that we did was on S-Corp. We dedicated a whole podcast to that. I'm bringing it up now because it is number seven on our question list. I know it's here for a reason. I want to go ahead and ask it to you. Again, we'll refer people to the Deeper S-Corp podcast, but when should I make the S-Corp election? So there are a lot of details that go into the S-Corp election, and that's why we did a whole separate podcast on it. Staying a little bit high level while also still providing some good information. There are a couple of key dates that folks need to look at in terms of when they should make an S-Corp election. So by the books, once they've selected and created that business entity, they have a specific and finite period of time that they can go make that S-Corp election with the IRS. And this is an important thing to understand because many people think an S-Corp is a separate type of business entity. And in fact, it is not. The federal government has created and the IRS implements through their taxation of businesses what's called an S-corporation. So as a business owner, you can elect to be taxed as an S-corporation, even though you may have an LLC or a partnership or a C-corp. There are certain tax benefits that come from an S-corp. We want to make sure you've either timely filed within that finite period of time that you have after creating your business entity. Or if you have not, there is a process by which we can go back and do what's called a retro election. And in the case of a retro election, we want to analyze a couple of things such as have you been operating in a way that is compliant with the S corporation rules? And are you within the dates necessary to be able to make that retro election in the given year? If the answers to all of those are yes, we can go back and make that S-Corp election and save people a significant amount of money. We have examples of folks that have saved themselves twenty-five dollars or $30,000 in a given year just simply by making the S-Corp election. So it's not small potatoes, and it's definitely a common question that we get from some of our clients. And as we mentioned and you noted here, it's a deeper question. It's a deeper discussion. So folks, check out the S-Corp election podcast in our listings. Also, if you have other questions after you've heard that or you want to dive deeper into it, talk to the folks at Trucker CFO. As you've heard here, Colton and his team can go much deeper into that. Let's move into question number eight. Again, this is one that talking about making a change. The question is this, can I change or transfer my LLC from one state to another? And I realize that comes up because folks move from state to state at different times. It's really one of those things that I'd like to pay for it once in a year and not have to pay for it twice. So what's the answer to this? Yeah, this is one that has creeped up in terms of the regularity with which we are getting asked this. And I think the reason it's coming up is we're seeing a lot of folks that are moving from, say, New York to Florida or moving from California to some other Western state. As that happens more and more, and as we have these folks that have previously set up business entities in the state that they're moving from, we often are asked, hey, can you transfer my LLC from, say, California to Nevada? And the answer is no, you can't. LLCs and other business entities, they are administered individually on a state-by-state -state basis. 
So when you go to, say, Florida and you set up your LLC, the laws of Florida govern the way that LLC is managed. The laws of Florida govern the way that LLC is set up and taxed. And all of that is governed within the state of Florida. So you can't now say, I've got a Florida LLC. I want to transfer it from Florida to, say, Georgia. You have to, in fact, set up a new entity. That is one option. The other option is you can set up what's called a foreign entity registration in Georgia with your Florida LLC, which would require you to maintain the presence of that LLC in Florida while also setting up an entity within Georgia that allows you to do business there as well. So it can get a little bit complicated. Again, we recommend folks get legal counsel if they have these types of issues that come up. But the short answer to this question is no, you can't transfer it. And you've got a couple different options of how to properly manage it. So Colton, as we tie a bow on the LLC discussion, what in your view and your experience has been the determining factor about establishing LLCs in a particular state? Well, it comes down to, again, the, the common word we throw out on this podcast all the time, and that is their plan. What is their plan? What are they trying to accomplish? Oftentimes, it's easiest to set up the business entity in their state of residence, and that oftentimes ultimately ends up being the best place for that entity to be set up, but it's not always the best answer. So what we want to do is we want to look at what is their plan for business operations? What areas of the country are they regularly going to be driving through? Is there a certain motor carrier or finance company with regards to the purchase of a truck that is going to be best suited for the business operation? Are there tax advantages to setting up in a certain state versus another? There's a number of questions that we want to look at and ask. And as a result, oftentimes we do see people and we'll set people up in a state that differs from their state of residence. For somebody to know, they need to ask the right question and they need to get some proper consultation from some professionals. Colton, thanks for going into a little more depth on that LLC question. And we have two left on our list of 10. And number nine is, I want or need W-2 income from my LLC sole proprietorship or partnership. How can I do that? So this question is one that has really started to creep up on us. We've seen it more and more. And I think it really comes from a lack of understanding that many people have in terms of taxation and business taxes in particular. A lot of people are thinking, well, I don't want to pay much in taxes. And so I'm going to minimize that by taking a paycheck of, say, $20,000 a year. And I'm then only going to have to pay taxes on that $20,000. And then the business they think is completely separate and they don't have to worry about that. That's one scenario. Another scenario is perhaps you have a partnership or two people that are driving together. They may have a business entity such as an LLC and to keep things equal and even, they just want to pay themselves W-2 income. So there are many, many rules that govern how the IRS looks at W-2 income. Really, there are very specific rules in place that determine when and how you need to set up that W-2 income. If you are a sole proprietor, you should not and actually by rule cannot be taking W-2 income. You cannot pay yourself W-2 income and receive a paycheck from your business. The same goes when you are a partnership. You cannot take W-2 income as a partnership. 
The partners are not allowed under tax law to take W-2 income from the partnership. That is against all rules. So don't do it. There are, in fact, situations that do allow you to take W-2 income. And in fact, more than allow, these types of situations require you to take W-2 income. It all comes down to an analysis of the tax law and the taxes that are being paid. If you are paying self-employment tax based on the business entity that you are set up as, you cannot and should not be paying yourself W-2 income. If on the contrary, you are set up as an entity that does not pay self-employment tax, at that point, you are required to take W-2 income. The reason for that comes down to the self-employment tax, which is Social Security and Medicare. They want you paying into Social Security and Medicare. If you're doing that through self-employment tax, you are not supposed to have W-2 income. If you are not paying self-employment tax through like an S-corporation, then you need to accomplish it through W-2 income and some type of payroll service. Well, Colton, as I hear you share some insights on this particular topic, one, sounds like there are some rules that are very clear cut on this. And the second thing is, is that when we get into some of these gray areas, this is one that's going to require some further discussion with you and your team. That's absolutely right. Folks that may be listening to this may think, boy, that's as clear as mud. And yeah, it sometimes is as clear as mud. So they need to make sure that in addition to listening to this podcast and others on these topics that we've done that go into more detail, those podcasts should serve as kind of a precursor that then leads to a more in-depth conversation that they have with the trucker CFO team that will allow us to ask very specific questions about their situation and make sure we understand their plan and what it is they're trying to accomplish because no two truckers have the exact same goals in mind. So we want to make sure that we're setting them up best for success by asking the right questions and making sure that we understand fully what their situation is. Well, Colton, as you know, and the folks who have listened to our podcast for the last couple of years know, one of the things that we always share with you at the end of the podcast is that everybody's tax situation is unique. Everybody's situation is different. And this particular point and a few others in here are definitely unique to individuals, which brings us to question number 10. And this is definitely particular to individuals. So I'll go ahead and ask it. How do I structure my income to avoid levies, garnishment, and child support payments? Well, the answer to this question, Greg, is very simple. You don't. And Colton, of all the questions that were asked on this top 10 list, I pretty much knew that that was the answer, even though I don't have any experience in that area. But that list of levies, garnishment, and child support is one that is unavoidable if you're in those situations. That's right. So this question usually comes up. I get it. It is a valid question. Folks are looking for ways to minimize their risk as it pertains to some of these types of issues. They may feel that they're being unfairly treated in terms of child support payments. They may have debts or other things that have come up that have caused the levies and garnishments. What we tell people is, look, you're just going to get yourself into trouble if you try to do things that is going to prevent those levies and garnishments and court-mandated child support payments from coming out of your bank accounts. So we just tell people, don't do it. It's not worth it. I get that it may be irritating. It may be causing you some financial hardship, but it's just something you're going to have to get through. If you have legitimate gripes and complaints, you need to be working with your legal counsel in terms of levies and garnishments. 
Perhaps you should be looking into bankruptcy. There are other things that you can be doing within the bounds of the law. However, one of the things that you cannot be doing is looking to hide money in other places or do things to lower your income in a way that is against the law or against IRS regulations. So just bite the bullet, get the stuff taken care of, and if necessary, go talk to some good, competent legal counsel. Well, another question I was going to bring up in regards to levies, garnishments, and pieces that are put in place related to back taxes, this is a place where you and your team in the tax resolution area may be able to work with clients. Again, this is where sharing of information, putting all your cards out on the table, and having that discussion with you and your team can really help somebody. Yeah, all of these questions that have come up that we've identified as being some of our top 10 most common questions are questions that really do require further analysis, further conversation with the trucker CFO team. We want to make sure we understand all of the ins and outs. Going back to question number one, is it deductible? There's not a simple answer. There are things we can tell you to help you get a somewhat clear idea in your mind as to whether it's deductible, but it's not always cut and dry. And that goes for all of these questions. It's never cut and dry. We want to take a look and make sure we're getting good, proper, sound advice out to our clients to best set them up for success. So Colton, I have an 11th question for you. Wasn't on the list, but it's one I'm sure you can answer. Here we are recording this in the middle of November, about 45 days left in the year. Is it time to get started on your 2022 returns? It's definitely time to get started looking at them. We cannot yet start the actual tax filing process until we get into the first part of February. As our clients start to receive those tax documents, such as their 1099s and W-2s and other tax documents. But in these last 45 days of the year, they should be looking at these 10 questions and the ones that pertain to them. They should be doing very specific things to start to get their ducks in a row and make sure they've done everything they can to minimize their tax liability come February, March, April, and so on and so forth. Well, folks, you heard it right there from Colton Lawrence, the Trucker CFO. And if you want to learn more about what Colton and the Trucker CFO team can do for you, here's a friend of the podcast to tell you more. Do you have a team of tax, accounting, and business advisory professionals who understand the complexities of the trucking industry? There are a number of ways you can connect with the Trucker CFO team. You can visit the company's website at truckercfo.com. That's truckercfo.com. From the homepage, you can fill out the contact us form, which will send an email to a Trucker CFO representative. Also, through the truckercfo.com website, you can connect to the company through the Find a Time to Talk button to set up an appointment, or you can use the chat feature. If you would rather email the Trucker CFO team directly, you can reach out to the company through the following address, info at truckercfo.com. That's info at truckercfo.com. You can also call the Trucker CFO team toll-free at 1-800-533-4230 and hit option 2 for sales. That toll-free number again is 1-800-533-4230 and choose option 2. The Trucker CFO Podcast is produced by Podwheels, powered by Radio Nemo in collaboration with the team at Trucker CFO. Before we close out this edition of the podcast, please keep in mind that every tax situation is unique and perspectives shared on this podcast should not be considered as tax advice. 
If you have questions regarding your specific tax situation, you should consult a qualified tax professional. Thanks again for joining us on the Trucker CFO Podcast. Just as a reminder, you can find and subscribe to our podcast through all major podcast platforms. If you do become a subscriber, we'd like to ask you to take a moment to rate the Trucker CFO Podcast. Throughout 2022, Colton Lawrence, the Trucker CFO, will be making regular appearances and taking calls for professional drivers on the Dave Nemo Radio Show and the Tim Ridley Show. Both of these programs are part of Radio Nemo, and they can be heard through Sirius XM's Road Dog Trucking Radio. All of the programs from Radio Nemo can be heard in the mornings on Sirius XM's Channel 146 or through the Sirius XM app. To learn more about Radio Nemo, visit RadioNemo.com. That's N-E-M-O, RadioNemo.com. As always, Colton Lawrence and the entire Trucker CFO team wish you the best for continued safe travels and good health as you work to keep the American economy on the move. <laughs>